Well, uh, brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. No, happy Sunday. Holy manure. What a ridiculous name for a sermon. All right, kinfolk uh, surely need it, so let us pray. Source of all life, ground of our being, awaken us. Amen. I'll describe the setting for you. It was all being filmed in front of a live studio audience. And my little sister and I were competing against one another in a cooking show. It was sort of like Iron Chef, and we were making cannolis. And Gordon Ramsay was just over my shoulder, and he was yelling at me. And my hands were shaking, and I'm trying to make these cannolis. Uh, and I did my best. I'm doing my best, I shouted at Gordon Ramsay. And he said, your best is rubbish. You're the worst cook in the world. And I was crying on TV, and it was all going wrong. And my sister won the competition. It was terrible, terrible. And then I woke up. Oh, thank God. I woke up. I'd fallen asleep, and I'd apparently fallen asleep in church because I found that I was standing in the pulpit of the church. And I was doing my best to preach a sermon, but everybody out in the sanctuary was just staring at their cell phones. Uh, I can't seem to get their attention. They're all just looking at their phones. And one by one, they all get up and start to leave. Uh, and, and the last one out of the sanctuary turns off the lights. And I'm left all alone. And suddenly I wake up again. And this time, I have this heavy, overweight dog sitting on my chest, licking my beard. And I can smell baby poop. And then suddenly a toddler slaps me in the face. And I realize this finally is the real world. Yes, this is the, I'm finally awake. Well, John Green says that nothing on earth is as, is as boring as other people's dreams. And I agree. It's amazing how something that we all share in common, something that we all experience, is so weird, could possibly be so boring when other people carry on and on about it. Maybe it's something about the unreality or maybe utterly inconsequential nature uh, of other people's dreams. A, a thing that could be said the same for many of the things invented by the human brains, but I think dreams are important. I do. Dreams play a huge part in my uh, theology and epistemology of the world uh, and my personal understanding of reality. One of my favorite movies, I've probably seen it 20 times. I keep coming back to it again and again. It's a Richard, Richard Linkletter film. Uh, that he made in 2001, uh, one of his masterpieces, called Waking Life. It is a funny little work of philosophy and humor and existential jokes, and it's a, the film itself is kind of a mess. Uh, you could tell he's, it's kind of a bouillabaisse of a movie. Uh, it's somewhat centered on the work of the film critic André Bassin, if you're into um, films like I am. But in the movie, there's a young man who's wandering from scene to scene, listening to lectures at universities. He's talking to philosophers and movie stars and all those regular casting characters of dreams. And then he starts to suspect that he might be dreaming himself. But then how can he be sure? It's a 21st century rehash of Rene Descartes' postulation of the dream argument. Um, the dream argument that we can never truly know whether or not we're dreaming. Um, and this is very much how I negotiate my uh, relationship with reality. Descartes didn't make this up, of course. This dates back almost as far as we've got human language. 400 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, this was written about by Taoists in the Chuang Tzu. This is the historic companion to the Tao Te Ching. 
Uh, and probably the most famous story about the dream argument is uh, from the Chongsu. It's the, called the butterfly dream. Once, this is how it goes, once Master Chongzu is dreaming that he's a butterfly flying around, but he doesn't know that he's actually Master Chongzu. And suddenly he's awake, solid and unmistakably himself. But a problem arises. He didn't know if he was Chongzu who had dreamt that he was a butterfly, or if he was simply a butterfly dreaming that he was Chongzu. This is the impossible dichotomy presented by the dream argument. There's no way to know materially whether we're waking or dreaming. Now, I don't want to endorse solipsism, which is kind of pointless. We're not, um, <laughs> we're not college freshmen hanging out in a dorm room after hours. Um, but the dream argument, is intended. its intended purpose is to, simply to give us a healthy skepticism about reality. It just says we need to be careful. Anything that we think we know for certain should be examined. And this is so particularly important for Christians, who for reasons that if I live a thousand years I won't understand, seem to be so compelled to hold things that are to be art articles of faith to be instead certainties. Or as soon as something is a certainty, it can no longer be the object of faith. Um, but all of this stuff is being mediated by our brains, and the brain is a notoriously untrustworthy thing. I mean, your brain has you utterly convinced that you're sitting here listening to me giving you a sermon, um, rather than sound asleep in your bed, which is where you could be. No way to know. <laughs> the desire to know what's real, though, from what's simply an illusion, that's a healthy frame of mind, but it can get us into a lot of trouble. The brain is capable of making up complete memories on the spot. Uh, Sigmund Freud uh, famously tells a story uh, of a man who has a very long and intricate dream about his participation in the French Revolution, and he falls in love with a partisan, and she's imprisoned, and he seeks to free her, and then he is captured and sent to the guillotine, and he watches with horror as the executioner releases the trap that drops the blade, he watches it dropping toward his bare neck, and he suddenly is awakened in his bed by a book falling off a shelf, hitting him in the neck. Between the instant that the book struck his neck and the next instant in which he opened his eyes, his brain had written an entire novel about the French Revolution in order to explain the situation. So, I don't know, are we dreaming or are we remembering? Well, um, there's no way to test this hypothesis, which is why it's fascinated philosophers for so long. But, and believe me, doctoral students and neuropsychologists are still publishing dissertations about this stuff today. Uh, Thomas Metzinger. Uh, at the Heidelberg Institute, is probably the most famous, and he's written volumes about this. Um, um, uh, the more interesting question for me, and I think for, for Metzinger and others, is this. What is my brain telling me is true right now? What am I accepting as true without further examination? Now, some stuff is pretty obvious, right? I love my family. Water is wet. Music is a miracle. Pie is better than cake, right? 
But it gets more complicated when we're interacting with things that are outside of our personal domain, outside of our experience or understanding. And this is what Jesus is most deeply concerned with today. Jesus begins today in this parable about the fig tree with the common assumption and experience. Awake or dreaming, you look at the fig tree, the sprouting leaves, and it bears no fruit. So it must be barren. His audience understands fig trees. And they also understand manure, dung. And what a strange thing, this manure. He is, uh, Jesus is, is fascinating because he plays these games with his listeners. He is often very intentional about using impure things as catalysts for God's victory in the world. Impure things, yeast, blood, pigs, manure, outsiders. We just heard it, like a Samaritan. The parable of the barren fig tree only appears in Luke's gospel, the gospel for the Gentiles. And the word manure is just translated from the Greek kopros. There can be no mistaking what it is he's talking about. He's talking about dung. And so what do we assume, what do his listeners, his hearers assume about dung? That it's filthy and useless. But any gardener can tell you that manure, once you wake up and quit with your assumptions, can cause the earth to spring forth with great abundance and bounty. So, two assumptions. First, that the fig tree is barren. And second, that manure is useless. Jesus conspires to say to us, that which you assume to be so is not. It is not necessarily so. Wake up. Wake up. Now, he says to us, we must wake up as his disciples because nations will be confused. Roaring of the sea all around. Wars. Wars. Wake up when you see these things taking place. Know that the kingdom of God is near. Are you awake? Am I? I'll tell you a story of a dream that I had a waking dream from which I was then awoken. I was in a stupor. I had been driving back and forth from Kalamazoo to Detroit with Auntie Sahida Nadim, Pakistani woman, lived in Kalamazoo for many years, and her son, Samad. And we had been driving to the ICE Immigration Office, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement in Detroit. And I was sitting in that room day after day, listening to the bureaucratic talk of these ICE agents, and there were always crying babies, endless piles of paper being shuffled around, and people over and over again approaching the counter. They don't allow any cell phones in that office. They don't even allow you to bring in a book or a magazine or anything. You can bring in nothing with you. All you can do is sit. And in my stupor, I guess I suppose I forgot that I was dreaming. This was the dream that I'd had. I live in a nation of responsible and fair laws. I live in a nation that is compassionate. I, love am I live amongst people who love and respect the United States Constitution. I live in a land of freedom. And then, Sahida and her attorney are at the desk, and the man on the other side, with a silver badge pinned to his dirty sweatshirt, says the words, your appeal is denied, and you must report for deportation on Monday. 
and then I wake up. That dream that I'd had about the country that I lived in and its inherent goodness and fairness had been shattered. Wake up, Jesus says. Lift up your head in this, this shattering, in this discovery that reality is not what you had assumed it was. The kingdom of God is very close to you. And I confess, I might have missed it in that moment, but I know today that when that agent spoke those horrible words, the kingdom of God was very close to me. When we imagine the waves that threaten to sink the boats, fleeing victims of war, the war, roar of the sea around them, the poor fainting from fear, wolves at their heels. The kingdom of God is there. It's there. It's somehow right there. It's right there. Now, are we awake or are we asleep? Is this our dream? Be on guard, Jesus says again and again and again in the Gospel of Luke, so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the worries of this life. Don't get caught in the trap of the dream. Moses assumes he's dreaming. Mm, rightfully so. Until God wakes him up with the words, I am. I am. Don't be deceived. Never assume that that which appears barren, like the fig tree, is so. That assumption is a trap. One more of these traps, of these dreams, and then I'll wrap things up here. I uh, go in my car, I drive from my house uh, to my job, back to my house, through the city. I drive through the city all the time. I'm driving through the city. And every time I do, I see dozens of unhoused human beings. And they're living in the street. And everywhere I look, they start to blend into the background of city life. Person after person. Living icons of God Almighty. Blending into the background. I'm watching, I'm watching, it seems like the cars of a freight train passing by. And they approach me, one after the other, after another. Do I help them? Do I give them money? Do I send them away? I don't know what to do. I'm so weary and worn and tired myself. I'm worn down. And then I wake, and I'm standing before the throne of Jesus Christ. Sitting on the throne of heaven is my Savior, and His face is one of the multitudes of those faces that I saw, but I was in a stupor. He was one of those homeless people. I was asleep at the wheel. What, what did I say to him? Did I yell at him? Did I help him? I can't remember, because my time was spent idly dreaming. He warns us, keep awake, Christian. Don't get weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. Kingdom of God approaches and recedes from us a thousand times a thousand, like the waves of Lake Michigan. And I fail to notice because my brain gets in the way of my soul. Because I accept the things that my brain is saying to me unconditionally, without any skepticism at all. I accept the fact that perhaps homelessness is just a natural part of our reality. It's not actually a man made sin, it's just something that is. A fig tree must be barren because there's no fruit on it this year. I just accept it. And in an instant when we wake from the dream, we know now what we ought to have said then. King, kinfolk, don't stay asleep for too long. The kingdom of God is very close to you. It might be as close as your next breath. Wake up to it. 
They're knocking at the door, Jesus says. There's angels knocking on the door. There's angels wandering the streets of our city. There's prophets all over the place telling us the truth, telling us to wake up to what's real, telling the truth about the world and the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ is etched into every molecule of creation. In these terrible days, we see wars and rumors of wars. Let us be the ones who see through the illusions of scarcity, retribution, vengeance, and violence, and awaken to the presence of the kingdom of God and the abundance, the absolute abundance that's exploding all around us. It can be found in manure, fertilizer. We've seen miraculous things together so far, even in our very brief time together. I've seen miracles happen. I saw one yesterday. Lives changed. People awakening up to the truth that they're unconditionally loved by God. It's Lent. This is a season of heaviness, but it's also a season of unburdening ourselves from the illusions. We're on a journey of preparation to witness something together, you and I. Christ's great victory over the greatest assumption, the greatest illusion of all, that death wins. A terrible assumption. The fig tree's not barren. Let's meet Him in that garden. Meet Him on the day of His resurrection with our whole selves, not drowsy and dreaming and drunk on the sorrows of life, but with gratitude and joy and celebration and wonder, prepared for His coming with wide-eyed wakefulness. And all we need to do is wake up. Okay? Amen? Amen.